Let's take our precious copy of the Word of God together and go to 1 John again. We're going to 1 John chapter 4 together as we go verse by verse through this book of the Bible to see what God says. And some of it may seem a little repetitive. And if God repeats himself, it's not because he, he doesn't know what he said already. But he's trying to emphasize something in our hearts. And that's what we have this morning Again, we're in 1 John chapter 4. We'll pick up the reading in verse number 12. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. The Bible says, No man hath seen God at any time. What a statement. So all these people said they see God, they lied. Saw a 50-foot Jesus. No, you didn't see God. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, And he and God, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. I want to speak to you this morning, ask you a question, is God in you? Is God in you? If so, how do you know? The proof of dwelling in God, or God dwelling in you. If you noticed when we read these a uh, few verses, he uses that phrase over and over again. You see verse 12, he said in the middle of the verse, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us. Verse 13, hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us. Verse 15, the end of the verse, God dwelleth in him and he in God. In the verse number 16, He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. So the question is, is God dwelling in you? Is God living in you? Is God in you? We often ask many different questions of people. We'll ask them, are you a Christian? That's not really probably the best question to ask anyone anymore, because you ask somebody if they're a Christian, they think, well... Uh, I'm not a Buddhist, I'm not a Muslim, so I guess I'm a Christian. And that's not what it means. Uh, We ask people sometimes if they're saved. That's a wonderful word. It's a wonderful thing to ask, but sometimes people misunderstand that and say, yeah, you know, God got me out of a jam. And they talk about something they think God's delivered them from in their lifetime. And that's not what that word, of course, is talking about. Now, if you ask someone if they've been born again, then they get a little spooky on you. They're not really sure about that one. That's probably a better question to ask. But here's another question we could ask, and we could be very biblical about it. Instead of asking the other question, we could ask, hey, does God live in you? Is God in you? You ask a common person on the road or or, or on the street somewhere at work or, or somebody that's lost and they're not saved. You ask them if God is in them. That probably would cause a little pause. But the truth is that if 
You're a child of God. God is in you. If you have been saved, if you've been born again, God is in you. He's not just with you. He's not just around you. He is inside of you. Now, what is the proof of that and how do I know that? Well, our verses this morning give us three ways that we know that God dwelleth in us. Three proofs of the fact that we are certain that God dwells in me. The first one he says, and we've already talked about this subject before in the previous verses that precede it. He said in verse number 12, No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. As we love one another, it's the proof that God dwells in us. Now, obviously, there has to be a misunderstanding of the word love because everybody, just about everybody will say, well, I just love everybody, so that means God dwells in me, and that's not true. He said at the end of verse number 16, He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Now, as he begins verse 12, he seemingly says something that's totally out of place. He's been talking about love, and then he just says out of the blue in verse 12, No man hath seen God at any time. What's that got to do with love? Does that not strike you as you go through the passage? He's talking about love. He's talking about loving one another. He's talking about God dwelling in us as we dwell in love. And he says, no man has seen God at any time, period. That seems almost out of place, but it is not in the context. Because look at verse 20. We've read the verse before. Verse 20 says, if a man say, I love God. So here's what we have a problem. A lot of people say a lot of things about love, but it's not, it's not a reality. It's not true. A man may say, I love God and hate his brother. If a man say they hate his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Again, that goes to no man hath seen God at any time. So because we've never seen God, then how do we know that we would love God? How do we know that we do love God? Because you understand the hardest people to love are the people that you spend personal time with all the time. Anybody that's honest understands what I just said. In other words, it's easy to love somebody that is at a good arm's distance. I've often said I really loved the Romanians until I lived with them. Until they started stealing from me. Until they started breaking my heart, until, until I saw how their lives were all against God and fighting God and unappreciative. It's hard to love someone from a distance. You know, thank God for the pictures we see of the mission field. You know, it's much easier to love somebody on a picture than it is in your house. So anybody can say, I love God, but you, you know, you've never seen him. You've never, been, you've never been around. You've never been in His heaven. And we know that a lot of... You know why a lot of people don't go to heaven? They're not going to go to heaven because they wouldn't, they wouldn't like it if they were there. There's nothing about God that a lost person would love. There's nothing about heaven. There's nothing about Jesus. There's nothing about glory that a lost person would love. What are we going to do up there? We're going to praise Him. If you don't love praising Him here, why do you think you'd want to go to heaven and praise Him there? If you're not thinking about Jesus here, why do you think you want to go to heaven and that's all you see all the time? 
You understand what I'm saying? If you're not interested in, in uh, his things here, why would we be interested in his things up, up there? And so he said, no man has seen God at any time. But the proof of whether or not I love God and the proof of whether or not God is in me, one of the proofs is that I love my brethren. Now, I think we ought to love people. But now he's talking about loving one another. That's not a generic thing. Now, we, we ought to love people and bring them the gospel. I'm not saying that. But the proof of God in us, there is an automatic love that is put in my heart for the children of God. You know, there's just something in you, unless you've got serious problems or God's not in you, there's something built in you that loves your family. You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's built on the inside. That's why, you know, I can't understand why, why some mothers would, would have no love for their children. We live in a day where, where, where parents don't love their children. We live in a day where, where you know, a, a, a mother doesn't love the unborn child that, that's, that's in her womb. That's a very unnatural thing. That's a very devilish thing. It doesn't make sense because there's an automatic love for your family. I mean, guys, you know, your kids can drive you nuts, but you love them, right? Your kids can break your heart, but you love them. That doesn't mean you accept everything. And that's another thing. Love is not acceptance of everything. That's not what love... God so loved the world, but the world, the whole world's not going to His heaven. We're only accepted in the beloved. We're only accepted in Jesus Christ. He's got to take care of our sin before He can accept us into His heaven. So love is not categoric acceptance of things. That is the perversion of the world of what love is. That's not what love is. Love is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's not making everybody feel good. It's not accepting everybody's wickedness. That's not love. And I don't think you ought to accept the wickedness of your children. But there's something inside of you that loves them. And if there's not, there, there's something really, there's something wrong with you. You ought to love your, your, your wife. You ought to love your husband. You ought to love your mom. You ought to love your dad. I mean, you, you would think you wouldn't have to teach people that. It would just be automatic, right? They'd love their family. Now, wait a minute. You know God's got a family? Do you love God's family? A lot of people love the family of God that they've never seen. <laughs> oh, I love the family of God. It's just not the people I go to church with. By the way, that's a proof of God dwelling in you when you, when you love His family. When you, when you love, you, you can't see God, but you can see the people who God is in. You understand? If you're saved by the grace of God, God is in you. And there's something about me that, that loves God in you because we're related. Doesn't mean we don't get on each other's nerves. It, just like your own family. I love to hear people's testimonies and they give testimonies of their family. I've never heard anybody give honest testimonies about everything in their family. Isn't that right? You know why we don't do that? And rightly so. We don't want to drag our family through the mud. We love our family. With all the warts. Isn't that right? There's just something in us that loves our family. 
And there should be something, if God is in you, what's the proof that God's in you? You love His people. You love His people. But it's really hard for us to prove that we love His people or even love our family when we can never get along with them. Isn't that right? When you love somebody, you, you put up with them. It doesn't mean you accept everything they do, but you love them enough to have their best interest at heart. Do you love everybody in here this morning? I'd be a fool if I believed that with me. What does it mean to love? It means to give of yourself. It means to have their best interest at heart. You know, if we really loved each other, we wouldn't sin against each other. If, I, if, if we loved each other, we wouldn't sin against each other. If we loved each other, we wouldn't want to hurt each other. Is that right? If we loved each other, we wouldn't want to be a stumbling block to one another. If we love each other, we want, we want, want, we want one another to, to grow in the Lord and be all that. And we want each other's success and blessing and, and Christ-likeness. And one of the proofs that God is in me is that I love His people. Do you love His people? Or do you love your people? Isn't that a good question? Now, you know what I'd have said? If if I was God, I wouldn't have said it that way. And this is how we often think. If, 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 If he loves God, he'll keep his hair cut short. If God's in him, he'll live right. That's the way I look at things. Is that the way you look at things? Say, if God's in this guy, he ain't gonna get drunk on Friday night. That's the way I look at things. If God's living in somebody, then he's not going to do all these uh, heinous sins because God's in him. Isn't that the way you see things? But that's not what God says. Matter of fact, we could even say, if God's in you, you'll be in church. Right? If God's in you, you'll come to church. But that's not what he said. He didn't even say, if God's in you, you'll appreciate the Bible. I have a question mark about people that that say that that God's in them or that they're saved and they have no love for the Bible. They have no interest in the Bible. They have no spiritual desire. I, I have an issue with that. But when God wrote his Bible and he said, here's the proof that God is in you, he didn't say any of that. He said, if I'm in you, you'll love each other. What if we made that a greater litmus test than all the rest of them? Go to John 13. I'll show you the word of Jesus. You know it. I didn't write this book. I just have to preach it. I wouldn't have even said it this way. There's a whole lot of people I question their salvation. But I'm not the one that determines who's saved and who's not saved. But you know what? I don't, my question marks about people's salvation is not God's question marks about people's salvation. He said, if you're looking for somebody that God's in, see how much they, they, they love his children. See how much they love his church. Jesus himself said in John chapter 13, I think you're there, in verse number 35. John 13, 35, he said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have high personal standards. 
Is that what it says? I believe you ought to have high personal standards. We do in our church. You can't even hardly find that anywhere in a church, anywhere where people say that they belong to God. You, you don't find that. But that's not what he said. He said, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love one to another. So how much do you love one another? You see, we don't have the capacity to love without God being within us. Because if it's just us, we will pick apart everything that we don't like about each other. And we will never know what love is. But if we're born of God, God's love is put down in my heart. And that fruit of the Spirit is what? Is love. You can always tell when people are not walking with God, when people are far away from God. They just they, they have a problem with, with loving God and loving people. You, you, you know, the question, the question about your life is who do you love? That's the question. Do you know if you love the right ones, it'll guide your whole life? If you love God, it will steer your life in the right direction. And the problem with people growing up in church and leaving the church house and never docking the church door again and living on God and doing all these things, it's a lack of love. If you love God, it dictates how your life is. And when we don't love God with all of our heart, then that's why our lives are a mess. The issue is, is not this, that, and the other thing. Those are the symptoms. The issue is I don't love God like I ought to love Him. And my issue with others is, is not all the symptoms. It's that, it's that I don't love God supremely and I'm not loving others as much as I love me. And the proof that He is in there is the love that comes out of there. He said in our text, would you go back to it in 1 John? He said in 1 John chapter 4, because it's not just love in there that he's concerned about. 1 John chapter 4 verse 12. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. Now watch your Bible. And his love is perfected in us. It's not just if you're saved and love is down there. God's trying to perfect that love. He's trying to mature that love and complete that love. And make it all-encompassing and entire in your life. God's trying to develop you loving Him and develop you loving others. That's what He's trying to do in your life. His love is perfected in us. Would you look at verse 17? Herein is our love made perfect. you see that? Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear of torment, he that feareth is not made perfect. Perfect in love. Look at chapter 2 of 1 John. You should preach, I love people. Well, is it perfected? Is it what it ought to be? And this is what I want to say to you this morning before I only have three points before I move from the first point. None of us loves enough. We still have perfecting to, that needs to be done on our hearts. I need to love Him more. I need to love His church and His people more. I don't love enough. When's the last time you confessed your sin of not loving? There's a song in that hymn book about sin. We don't ever sing it. We put it on our CD that we made years ago. It's called No, Not Despairingly. And he talks about sin. He's asking God to cleanse him of the sin. And one of the lines say this, Sin of not loving thee. 
sin of not trusting thee. Infinite sin. You ever confessed your sin of not loving the Lord like you ought to love him? Do you think you love him like you ought to love him? Have you ever confessed your sin of not loving his people like you ought to love his people? He said in 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 5, For whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in Him. He Again, He's showing us that this love needs work. I, I need to love God more. I, it needs to be perfected in my life. And, and the more I do what God says, that is getting perfected in my heart. So my first question is, God in you? And if you had to stand up here this morning to prove that God's in you by how much you love, could you do it? If we put you on the witness stand and we brought in the cross examiners to see what you love in your life, would we say this man is guilty of God being in him? Love is a proof that God dwells in us because we don't have the capability without him. Secondly, would you look at verse 13 of our chapter? 1 John chapter 4, verse 13. Again, is God in you? If God's not in you, you're going to go straight to hell. If God is in you, you have no life. You have no hope. There is nothing good about any one of us. Every one of us are sinners. The only thing that, that, is, that can potentially uh, redeem or rescue all of us as human beings is if God gets in us. First John chapter 4, he says in verse 13, Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us, because He hath given us of His Spirit. So is the Spirit in you? Look at verse number 4. Remember that verse? First John 4, 4. You're of God, little children, have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Well, who is that? Look at chapter 3, verse 24. 1 John 3, 24. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Now, I have no x-ray, spiritual x-ray machine to see if the Spirit of God, if the Holy Ghost is in you. I can't see that. I don't have the ability to see that. The Spirit, He's invisible. He, if, he, if you're saved, He lives on the inside. We know that God dwells in us because we've got love in there. We know that God dwells in us because we have His Spirit in there. Well, how, do, how can I know if I have His Spirit in me? Well, go to Ephesians 1. The first way I know that I have the Spirit in me is because God doesn't lie. In other words, I know His Spirit is in me because He promised to me He would give me His Spirit. Does that make sense? That's the first, that's not the only reason, but that's the first reason. I know that the Holy Ghost is inside of my body because God keeps His promises. And I know it. There's no doubt about it. He said in Ephesians chapter 1, let me get over there with you. Ephesians chapter 1, the Bible says in verse number 12 that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ. Have you trusted in Christ? 
Have you trusted Him for the salvation of your soul? Or are you trusting in you? Verse number 13. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. He said you heard the gospel, you heard that Jesus died, was buried, rose again, you believed that, you trusted that, and after, and when you did that after that, God sealed you with His Holy Spirit. That's a promise of the Bible. Look at it again in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. I know, how do I know the Spirit's in me? I can't see Him. You can't see Him. I know it because of the promise. We have lots of things moving around there. Amen. All right, are we ready to fly? (laughs) Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Personal faith. You're trusting Him personally. Not about Him, but in Him. So you're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Now look at chapter 4 and verse number 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Watch it. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So I know that the Spirit is in me because God promised that if I would become a child of God and I become a child of God by faith in Christ Jesus, when I put my faith in Christ Jesus, I become a child of God, I become a son of God, and He promised to send forth His Spirit into the hearts of His sons. So I know He's in there because He promised and God doesn't lie. And it don't matter what people say or religion, I I know what He said. All right, look at uh, the second reason. Why does God, my soul, what interruptions we have this morning. But listen to the message and not to the noise. Some of you without that noise still had some noise going on in here. (laughs) I know his spirit is in me, number one, because he promised it. I know the spirit is in me, number two. Because he works in there. I never, you know, I knew bookishly that I had a gallbladder. But I really know I got a gallbladder now. It's moving around in there. I know from the Bible, the promise of God, the Spirit's in there. But you know what? When He starts working in there, has the Spirit of God ever worked in you and said, Hey, hey, I'm down in here. You say, how does that happen? Well, you know, when the Spirit of truth has come, the Bible tells us He'll reprove. He'll reprove you of sin and of righteousness and judgment. You know one proof? Look, listen, guys. Lost people, you wonder, well, how do lost people do all the stuff that they do? They don't have God in them. 
Do they not ever get bothered about... No, they're not saved. If you're not bothered about sin, you're not saved. If it never bothers... And I'm not talking about just the sins you think are bad. The Holy Ghost down here, I know He's in there because, man, He reproves me. He says, hey, knucklehead, you're, you're wrong. You're wicked. You going to get that right? You ever done something you shouldn't have been doing or said something you shouldn't have said, and immediately something inside of you just like a knife just plugged right into your heart. You know what that is? That's the Holy Ghost down in there said, I'm right here. That ain't right. You ever started on a path and something inside you said, you better not go down this path. That's wrong. That's the proof of the Holy Ghost being in you. Hallelujah. As God speaks to you about your sin, speaks to you about your life. But it's not just a negative thing. It's not just a negative thing. It's also this. You, you, you are involved, in, you have a, an event in your life that's so traumatic, that's so terrible. And uh, maybe it's at a graveside, maybe it's at a loss, maybe it's, it's some personal issue you have. And yet, and yet here comes some comfort in your heart. And nobody understands how you can keep it together. It's because somebody's down in there keeping it together. And when everything seems to be, be up, uh, upheaval is everywhere and turmoil is everywhere, there's a peace that's down in there that, that's not manufactured. God's Spirit gives us peace and God's Spirit gives us comfort. I'm asking a question. Does he, does he ever work down in there where you know he's down in there? Well, I tell you what, sometimes he works down there and he doesn't work a work of, of reproof or guilt or even comfort or peace. Sometimes he just, he just works a work of joy and gladness. Amen. And just get happy, get excited. I've sung these songs all my life. And every time I start singing, and boy, there it goes. I mean, it runs up my legs sometimes. Amen. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Amen. Get goosebumps. It's funny. In, in Romania, they didn't call them goosebumps. They called them chicken skin. I don't know why. Those Romanians get it. We'd have a good service, and they'd pull their arm back and show me their chicken skin. <laughs> I'm not talking about emotionalism. I'm talking about God down in there. Agreeing with what's going on. And joy down there. And gladness. You got any of that? Does that work in you? I know it's not all the time, but I tell you what's like that like that kite and the, the, the line's so high you can't see the kite, but you can feel the the tug every now and then. Guys, there's a tug down in here. Hey, I'm here. Sometimes it's I'm here, you better go to the altar. I'm here, you better pray. Sometimes the tug is, I'm here. You better go tell that person about Jesus. Sometimes that tug is, hey, you know, you've been a little bit too lazy. You need to get with it. Sometimes that tug is, hey, hey, we, we, we need to reach uh, this next country for the Lord. We need to get on, on board with, with, with getting the gospel more around. The, the tug's down there. Is the Spirit in you? How would you know if He never works in your heart? 
Is the Spirit in you? How do you know if you've not done what He said in His Word that brings the promise of the Spirit that's sent forth in your hearts? I tell you what, if you're saved by the grace of God and you live a life of sin, there is a built-in misery for saved people who live lives of sin. It's called the Spirit of God that's in you. You cannot walk away from a God that's inside of you. Is he in there? I'm so glad I don't have a spiritless religion. I'm glad it's not dead and dull and dry and just bookish. He says, here's the proof. We hadn't even talked once about really living right yet. Right? Is God in you? Well, where's the love? Is God in you? Where's the spirit? Is God in you? I'll give you the last one. We'll be finished this morning. Verse 14. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. He, the third way, he says right here in verse 15, whosoever shall confess. Now that's a strange word because I don't think we really fully appreciate that word. I think what we have done, he says if somebody has confessed Jesus, God dwells in them. But notice what he did not say. He did not say whoever profess. You know what a profession is? That's something you say with your mouth. In other words, God doesn't dwell in all the people that profess Jesus. God dwells in the people that confess Jesus. You know what confess is? If you look it up in the old 1828 dictionary, which I encourage all people to have that study the Bible and try to understand words. The old 1828 dictionary says this about the word confess. It means to own. It means to acknowledge. It means to avow. Now, you understand that. And it'll even shed light on the first chapter of John in this same book that we just preached So many months ago about if thou shalt confess, he says, if you'll confess, I'm quoting another verse. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confessing our sins is not just reading out the page of them with our mouth. Confessing our sins is owning them. Confessing our sins is the avowal, these are mine. You know, there's a lot of people that maybe talk about their sins to God, but it's always somebody else's problem, or or this happened because he, instead of just saying, yep, this is mine, I own it. God wants us to own up to our sins. I did this. This is all my mess. This is all my choice. Yes, Lord, these are my sins. And God says, if you'll own up, if you'll own your sins, then I'll forgive them. So what does it mean to confess Jesus? Go back to the gospel. We'll be through in just a second. The gospel of John again. John chapter 9. 
Get John chapter 9. Have you confessed Jesus? Get John chapter 9 and Luke chapter 12. You've got two hands there. Is God in you? God is in the people that have confessed Jesus the Savior. He says in John chapter 9 and verse number 22, look at it, John 9, 22. The Bible says, These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Not that he professed, but they confessed. They owned him as their Christ. They avowed and acknowledged that this is their Christ. Not that he was a miracle worker. Not that no man spake it. But no, I'm owning him as mine. And the Jews said, anybody that does that, you're out of the synagogue. You're no longer a part of Judaism. If you own him, if you confess him, then you're out with us. It said in Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12 and verse number 8, Jesus said, Also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. Not just a profession with the mouth, but a confession with the heart. Ownership. One more text. Romans chapter 10. You know where I'm going, don't you? Romans chapter 10. Does this not put greater light on Romans chapter 10 that we've often quoted to people to lead them to Christ, to get them to come to Christ and be saved? And the Bible says right here in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9 that if thou shalt what? Confess. Ownership. Avowal. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And watch how he says it and shows it's not just a mouth thing. The Lord Jesus. And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. And if you didn't get it, he gave the next verse. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The mouth, listen, the, a real confession is a mouth just saying what is really in the heart. That's why we're not just getting, trying to get people to say a prayer. We're wanting them to say something from their heart. We're wanting them to take ownership of Jesus. Like the song says, I am His and He is mine. I, I want Him. Have you ever confessed that Jesus is the Savior of the world? You're not your own Savior. The church is not the Savior. Your goodness is, but you've confessed He is the Savior of the world. And I own that. And I avow that. And I have no hope but Him. I have no hope but the Savior for my sins. And I'm calling on Him and I'm trusting in Him. Not because it's a religious thing to do or mom and dad wants me to do it or somebody wants me to do it. But in my heart, I, I'm, I'm taking ownership of Jesus. I want Him to be mine. Isn't that different than religion? I want Jesus to be mine. And that book said, anybody, whosoever, it doesn't matter, amen, if it's a drunk or a prostitute or if it's black, white, yellow, doesn't matter what continent they live on, doesn't matter what their past has been like, it doesn't matter what their difficulties are, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in Him. 
You take ownership and believe who he said he was. Believe what he did on that cross, that he's the only Savior of the world. You take ownership of that. God says, I'll move into the house of somebody like that. I'll move into their life. And I'll come to live inside of them. Whoever will confess. You see how all these three things are put together, church? When I really confessed the Lord Jesus from my heart, you know what he did? He sent his spirit down in there. And you know what happened when his spirit got down in there? He shed abroad that love in my heart. These things aren't separate things. They're together things. My my confession from my heart brought about that spirit in my life. And that love was placed down in there. I wondered this morning, is God in you? Is God in you? 